Hello, club members. I'm Kate. Oh my god, no, I actually have a good fun fact this time. <laughs> As opposed to all the other ones. I mean, they're crap. usually, you know, <laughs> garbage, but I actually have a good one. I just thought of it. Um, So, fun fact, uh, I was driving home yesterday and came across a van, a white windowless van. I'm very concerned about where this is going. Slosh very with, intrigued. With an... It was like a sticker of a sandwich on the side of it, like a big one. Okay. But not that big, like not big enough to be like a whole logo, just a sandwich. And then it said shaggin' wagon on it. That was mine. And I, I, <laughs> oh my God. That was going to be my fun fact. I just got a shaggin' wagon. It wasn't wagon. you. I just got the shaggin' wagon. <laughs> no, it wasn't you because I followed it for like. You did not. On purpose? Y- yeah. You changed your trajectory home to follow the shaggin' wagon? I sure did. Did you really? I had Nick in the car. Yeah. Nick Nick and I, Nick said, follow that van. And so I, I did. Did you want to make sure you didn't see any little handprints on the windows or? I just needed, I needed answers, Emma. More than, I just needed answers. I followed me? it. No, I didn't. I, it, I lost it. I lost it after like 15 minutes. Well, I will keep an eye out for the shagging wagon. Everyone needs to keep an eye Everyone out for the shagging wagon. Everyone keep an eye out, honestly. I don't, I, I am concerned about its nefarious purposes, but maybe that's the true crime in me. Maybe it's going to be a true crime in a future episode. Oh, we'll see. I'll submit it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> All the podcasts. Well, anyone, everyone keep an, an eye out for the show. I'm already creepy pastaing it in my mind. Oh my God. Excellent. <laughs> Uh, and Please I, send us your shag and wagon creepy pastas. I will read them on air. Yes, no, those will go straight straight to air. <laughs> straight to air. We'll like forget the episode. We need to talk about more important things. That's right. Um, and for those of you who don't know, I'm Emma. I'm Kate's sister. Uh, oh, Kate, you really put me in a weird spot with that one because I don't know how to how to top the shag and wagon. Uh, I know. I should have let you go first. I was uh, too excited. I know. Um, and okay, so my fun fact is that. One of my favorite things is going to the local Alamo Draft House. There's the one oh here God, in yes. Raleigh. There's there are some in other places. Y'all may be familiar. And going, they're from Texas. Yeah, they're from Texas. Going and getting loaded cheesy fries and a margarita. Not together. You have the margarita, then you let it settle. Let your stomach settle. Then you I get was the like, cheesy. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> and then watching a movie with Sarah and Kate. Aw, so that's my that's vibe. sweet. My fun fact is better, but that is very you know sweet. What, Kate? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm gonna. Whenever I edit this, I'm just gonna cut out the Kate part. It's just gonna be with Sarah. <laughs> oh my god! So rude. <laughs> you did so it to rude. Yourself. Well, we're not here to um, uh, be rude to each other. I mean, we kind of are, but we're also here to talk about a movie. Only this week, we're not talking about a movie. This week, we're doing something a little different. Uh, we're talking about The Haunting of Hill House from Netflix, and i um, super, super excited to talk about it. Uh, we did lie. Um, we did originally say, I think at the end of 13 Ghosts, we said that we'd do this in two parts to break it up. That was a it's, lie. It's, that was a lie. It's going to be three. Um, this th- There's a lot to unpack from this show, and honestly, as much as I really loved watching and doing an episode on Bly Manor... Uh, we did it dirty a little bit by cramming all of that into one episode. I think that was my first show. episode of the show. Yeah, it was. And like, you really got thrown in the deep end. I like, really bless did. Bless you. Bless you for sticking around. Yes. 
But yeah, this is episode one of three. We are covering the first three episodes of Hill House today. Uh, there are spoilers, so please go watch it if you haven't already. Or at least before go watch we get- episodes one through three. Yeah, just just episodes one through three. We're not going to spoil anything else. I've seen the show before. Emma has not. No, and honestly, whenever I watch Bly Manor, uh, it obviously was naturally compared to Hill House because it's the same, basically the same actors and more importantly, the same director. Um, yeah, same writer. And the same writer. So I was very curious about how it compared and everyone kept comparing it, but I wasn't really able to do that fair comparison myself because I haven't hadn't seen Hill House. So this was also very eye-opening for me because not only did I like have a little bit more, um, like a better understanding of of people's references to the show, I also was better able to compare it to Bly Manor. Uh, that's true. That is true. And it was hard. It was really hard not bringing up Hill House when I was talking about Bly Manor. It was really hard. Yeah. I'm really I'm really excited to hear what you thought of it. At least what you thought of the first um, three episodes. But before we do. I did want to just um, give a shout out. Uh, we do have a new patron. Um, yes. We have, I know, we have Scott. We have a new club secretary. Welcome, Scott. We're so, so excited yes. to have you. Welcome to the club, um, Scott. We're so glad to have you. Um, and yes. thanks for thanks for being a part. Thanks for supporting us. And uh, just to let everyone know, there are, you are, by listening to this podcast, you are a member of the Nightlight Horror Movie Club. You are a club member. There are no dues for this club. But if you're like Scott and you just really like paying dues, um, we, and you want to support the club, you can join our Patreon page. There are different officer rankings for different levels of support. So really excited to have a new uh, club secretary. Yeah, really cool. you don't really sign up for this club. It's more of an opt-out process. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. You cannot unsubscribe. No, <laughs> you, you may not unsubscribe. The, the, the text for doing that in the email is tiny, tiny font. It's very tiny font, and it is in white font. And it so. also leads to a faulty link, so... That's right. <laughs> has that ever happened to you? That has happened to me. Well, recently I tried to unsubscribe to Figs, which is like a scrub service who sends a heinous amount of emails, and there just wasn't an unsubscribe <laughs> button. It's like, you can't. I guess I need to block the sender. I don't know what the next steps <laughs> I are. Don't I don't know. They'll find you. Um, well, can I give a quick synopsis, like an overarching synopsis for Hill House for people who haven't seen it? Yes, please do. I think this is a hodgepodge of a bunch of different synopses, but I'll. I'll I'll do, I hopefully, hopefully makes sense. So um, in the summer of 1992, Hugh and Olivia Crane and their five children in order, Stephen, Shirley, Theo, Luke, and Nell move into Hill House, which is a big mansion that they're renovating in order to sell it and then build their own dream Whenever house. You said that, as soon as you said that, I was like, who the hell's Stephen? And then I, like, it took me a second to be like, oh, that's a character who's been in all of the episodes. Oh, no, Emma. No one ever calls him by his name. Yes, they do. The first episode is called Steve Sees a Ghost. Oh, why? Well, I, I guess I missed that. Steven Sees a Ghost is I the name of the pilot. Detail. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Please continue. <laughs> well, I guess back to Steve and Co. Um, so they move into this house. They're going to um, renovate it and flip it. And there's a bunch of unexpected repairs. So they have to stay longer. And then they begin to experience a supernatural 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 <laughs> phenomena the countries are um, coming together <laughs> against this house so they start to experience spoopy things um 
something happens that we don't quite understand and everyone ends up fleeing the house. And now we have a a parallel timeline that's interwoven with the 1992 timeline of 26 years later. Um, The family reunites um, when there's another tragedy that happens and they're forced to confront Hill House once again. That is a beautiful synopsis. It was pretty okay, I think. No, I think it does a good job without giving away too much, which we're about to. So this is our second and final spoiler. Second final spoiler warning for the first three episodes, not for the whole show. Well, I couldn't even spoil that if I wanted to. Great. (laughs) I could. And I'm trying really, really hard not to. You better not. I'm trying really hard not to. I've seen this show before. Um, It's no spoiler that I I loved this show. Um, I loved this show. And I'm rewatching it again uh, in sequence. And I'm making a purpose not to watch past the episodes that we're covering so I don't accidentally let something slip. So... So first things first is film breakdown. Kate, are you ready? Uh, no, I'm not ready, actually. Well, it's too um, bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so for film genre, I've decided I'm going to do... Um, well, first of all, this isn't a film. This is a show. Well, then, but you set me up I've, for that. So I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> so I didn't do my homework due to a technicality. No, I'm, I decided to do a different subgenre for each episode. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do intrigued. that as I... As I cover as I cover each episode, and then as far as um, budget and box office, I can find no information on budget. I mean, box office doesn't really apply, but I, they still made money. I want to know how much money they made. I can't. I've, if anyone can help me find this information, please do. I am. I'm we'll dying to know. We'll figure it out by the end of this. I want to know how much they spent on it, and I want to know how much they made, and also I want to know how much Netflix made. There's, I mean, they're still making money, I guess, is I part of it. Like, box office is like a set, like, yeah. point in time, and they're still raking it in. I would suspect that given that they subsequently had Bly Manor, and they're about to have a new one. <gasps> what? Yeah, I'll talk about that in a second. What? They're coming out with a new one with some actors <gasps> I really like. Um, oh my god does it use some of the same cast like (laughs) it definitely uses kate siegel (laughs) of course because it's his wife (laughs) because it's his wife and it uses this actor i really like i'm gonna have to look up his name but um we'll get to that in a second oh my god i am i am so excited to hear more about this and you know it's gonna be a horror house at um halloween horror nights i did not know that yeah it's it's like hill house gonna be hill house oh i love that yeah. Okay. It, it the image that they use is of like a ghostly broke neck lady. Well, and I don't know I what think. that means. I know it's episode five, so don't tell me anything. It's in episode one, I think. No. Okay. Well, then <laughs> don't said, look that up. <laughs> no. <laughs> don't look that I up. I know that's a really Shit. a really good episode because I do reception, which we'll talk about in a second. I know episode. Oh yeah, five, be careful which is googling neck, things. Broke neck lady, or you know some. Bent neck, some, something I think like it's that. Bent neck lady. I think bent oh, neck. Um, bro- broke doesn't sound right. <laughs> sounds that sounds a like cold. some Mississippi shit. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Sounds laughs> like some hillbilly. Uh, I'm some a broke neck, neck lady. <laughs> I'm a broke neck lady. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Okay. Oh no. The, well, I'm very excited to hear. I'm so excited to hear about that. I will try to hold it in. It is a Halloween Horror Nights Horror House this year. Super excited to go <laughs> see that. Like you said it's a- Halloween Horror Nights Whorehouse. I'm like, well, that'll get it. It is a very hot cast. It is a whorehouse. I would go to, if their cast is there, I will be there. I have my ticket. (laughs) Um, Let me see. We've talked about it. 
just like through inside jokes, I guess. But yeah, the director of this movie, um, of this show, of the series, is Mike Flanagan. He's the creator of the series. Uh, we, he did Bly Manor, obviously, which we've covered. Oculus, Absentia. Do you do Hush? Um, yeah. Uh, well, no, that was, I think Kate Siegel directed that one. I'm pretty, no, well. I was just like, well, it's hard. In it, They're so both just doing it. Well, she wrote it. She wrote Hush. So Kate Siegel plays Theo in this um, show. And if you didn't already know, she and Mike Flanagan are married. Um, Since they 2016. Have, oh, my God. I love that. And they have um, two kids, a boy and a girl. A girl who she was, um, she found out she was pregnant with, or they were pregnant with, whenever they were filming Hill House. And um, they named her Theo, Theodora. Did they really? Yeah. First of all, I love the name Theodora. I, it's beautiful. I love it. uh, Kate and I will probably race to have it. Well, I don't know if Kate's having babies. Uh, if I, <laughs> I'll let you take if it. If I have a baby, I, I, Theo is definitely, Theo and Dot are both on the docket. Um, just cute little short names. Uh, nobody is pregnant. Just nobody. To be clear. <laughs> this is, no, if it, no, something has gone very wrong. If either of us are pregnant right now. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, but what I was going to say is truly, I feel like Kate Siegel is maybe the prettiest person I've ever seen. Oh my God. She's so pretty. She's just gorgeous. She's so pretty. She's just so pretty. And like, God bless him. I, no disrespect. Man's brilliant. Mike Flanagan is n- a very normal looking Which dude. Which I thought was so refreshing. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I'm trying to like not say something rude. Like that's so brave of him. <laughs> like, oh my God. You know, um, I think Kate Siegel's gorgeous and that's really saying something because I also think Carla Gugino is gorgeous. Oh my God. So but pretty. Kate Everyone like, in this show is beautiful. Yeah. Whenever I see, I saw, I saw a tweet that was like a story about a family haunted uh, or cursed to be, uh, to be um, scared by ghosts and undeniably hot. <laughs> They're all so hot. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that is accurate. <laughs> That is so accurate. Like all of them are f- like movie stars. Well, they are movie stars, but they're all like flawless. No, they're all Literally, particularly attractive. Whenever I was watching. So I watched the third episode last night, which is Theo's episode. And literally I had to pause it. I was like, Nick, do you see her teeth? Look at her. Her teeth are perfect. Uh, He's like, I know. I have been drawing. Um, I've been working on my drawing. And so I'm trying to learn how to draw faces. And so I've been, are you going to literally be drawing her face? No. But what I did notice is like, I was, I've been paying more attention to faces because I'm like, as I'm drawing, I'm learning like what makes a face look odd. And I'm like, that nose is too far down and things like that. <laughs> and so like, I'm down. like, I was looking God. at her face and I was just examining it and like, what makes her so goddamn beautiful? But she is, I don't know what it is, but she's got it. She's got she's it. She's got those Marilyn Monroe, um, like birthmarks. She's she looks nice. Well, I mean, Theo, I guess has got it too. She's like, hot the stuff. frat boy yeah she's she's a hot commodity and what and i think chicago is that where boston i wouldn't know but wherever she is i mean she's doing just it told fine. Us. <laughs> well no like in the show like no, I know, her character I know. oh you still don't know great all right well um i did want to talk before because we are going to go into a play-by-play of each episode um I don't, not a play by play. We're going to talk about each episode. I do not have the mental. We will not keep you here for three hours. No, I'm not doing that to y'all or myself. But uh, before we go into the um, episode by episode, I wanted to talk a bit about the production design. So, because like the, the shots in this show are gorgeous. Yes, they are. They're, they are so pretty. 
And I was like wondering, you know, I was like, okay, so clearly this is all like a set, but like they do have like a lot of good exterior shots and like I wanted to know more about it. So I looked up the production designer. His name is Patricio M. Farrell. He built an entire um, two, I might be making him too fancy. It might just be Farrell. Farrell I like better. Farrell sounds but like he a built, production designer. It sure does. <laughs> he built an entire two-story house on an Atlanta on an, on an Atlanta soundstage, an entire fifteen hundred square foot mansion that what? you can enter. You can enter it. You can walk around it. You can go up the grand staircase. You can go through different rooms. That is insane. He built it. Like he 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 designed it. Well, that gives us some insight onto the budget of this film. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I was looking everywhere. I was looking. Everywhere. And like, I know that like part of the budget issues was they, they was part of the budget issues were they were going to, um, they were going to have to build an exterior to match the interior. And, um, they, like they, they were just like, I, I can't do this. Like, this is too much. So they, they were able to find an actual mansion, um, to use for exterior shots in, um, I think it's like LaGrange, mm-hmm. Georgia is where they found it. And they were able to like convince the homeowner with like, I guess you just got to be really diplomatic and nice, convince the homeowner to like switch the door out. So it matched the interior one Wow! and even cut, cut down some trees. Wow. I don't think, I don't know. That's a lot asking to cut down people's trees, but they did it. Particularly in Georgia. (laughs) And, and I'm sorry, I just want to, I want to talk about this house for a minute because the design of the house is so beautiful and it's a mix of different styles because like like you get that vibe from it like that this is a house that has been like renovated and rebuilt and retooled and they're renovating it in the in the show too and I was looking up because I, I learned a lot about um house designs mm-hmm. um so like this one is a mix of gothic uh baroque which is like a more dramatic and extravagant use of color and contrast uh victorian obviously which is you know um, like gothic revival it's got like a lot more medieval influences okay. to it and then moorish which i didn't know anything about moorish so i looked it up it's a subset of islamic design and it's known for like it's um what's the word i'm looking for ornamentation like with plasters and tiles and vaults okay so all this like that that might not sound very interesting to you if you haven't seen the house but looking at the house it's like it's it's just so it's fascinating. The design of it is just very fascinating to me. Hmm. I think it's not to you. <laughs> no, no, no. I I I think it's really interesting that there's, there's so many different influences on it because it looks very cohesive. Like I wouldn't be like, oh, it looks like a hodgepodge of different like architectural styles. No, like yeah, it's done well. It's done really well in in a convincing way. And uh, one more thing I did want to talk about is um, the production designer Patricio. Uh, almost didn't take the job. He was very oh, on the really? fence about taking, yeah, he was very on the fence about taking the job, um, which would have been so sad because the house is like essentially a main character of this show. Mm-hmm. And, and it's very, it has to look the part and it had to be done yeah, right. Absolutely. And I can't imagine it being different, but he was very on the fence. This guy, from what I can gather, he seems uh, to be like a very religious guy and, um, or at least, at least highly, highly spiritual. Okay. And he, he was talking to Mike Flanagan and was in, um, whenever they were kind of interviewing and having a conversation, he was, he asked, he's like, do you have kids to like ask Mike Flanagan, do you have kids? Because he said, um, if he felt that if Mike Flanagan didn't have kids and, um, 
then it was too much. Like I have a quote from him. It says, if you have kids and you were able to do this, I'm on board. But if not, if you're exploiting those feelings that as a father gets so deep under my skin, I don't know if I want to get involved. Wait, what? This is in reference to what specifically? To getting involved, to the production designer getting involved with this project. Huh. Yeah. like That's really intense. Really intense. I'm like, dude, it's a show. Like, yeah, chill. like what? But apparently, Mike Flanagan was like, yeah, I, like I have a boy because they they had one kid at mm-hmm. that time, and so then he was like, all right, let's do it. Yeah. But like, if Mike Flanagan didn't have a kid, Hill House would have looked that very is different. Wild. I know. Very, uh, very uh, dramatic. <laughs> Dr- dramatic. Yeah. I don't know if I want to work with that guy, but he did a great job. Seems a bit like a drama queen, but damn, yes, that house looks good. Exactly. That house that, is banging. That is, so that is my summary of that. Well done. Well done. <laughs> That's all I have for kind of like behind the scenes stuff. Um, we're going to release some cool photos and stuff on our various social meds. So stay tuned for that. Absolutely. But I, I'm excited to get into um, the plots unless you wanted to talk about uh, critical reception first. So I do want to talk about critical reception. I also want to talk about the origin of of this film or not. Oh, this of film, course. The TV show. Um, of course. Yeah. So I just wanted to address the fact that this is uh, based off the uh shirley jackson uh horror or not horror but haunted house story the haunting of hill house right Um, and i did a little bit of reading on that because i my understanding was that it was pretty tangential but i did want to just kind of explore that and i read i read a bit about it and read the storyline for that so i just wanted to talk about that for a minute yeah you actually reminded me of what i was reading um whenever you were talking about trying to find an exterior set uh for haunting of hill house because Shirley Jackson herself, she decided, okay, I want to write a horror or I want to write a haunted house story. And she wanted, she was very, very thoughtful about it. And as part of writing this story, she wanted to get inspired. So she actually drove around, um, Cal, she drove around looking for a place, found one in California that she thought like seemed very fitting for the, for the inspiration of her story. And then interestingly, she found that her, like a, ancient relative like a great great aunt or great great uncle actually had designed that what yeah so it's very odd um that's weird very weird um, spoopy one might say spoopy one might say i i will say that spoopy emma, Trey emma spoopy. might say <laughs> emma might say um but interesting things about this that so she was writing in the modernist period um and so that was when the study of psychology was finding um like it was getting more attention and there was a lot of attention about like the unconscious um and so i think that that's very interesting because her it was in the setting of a time where that the thought about what happens unconsciously how that plays into the development and the life of a person it seems like she really pulled that in for her story and you can see that oh, a lot yeah. in this in this tv show because yeah it's, it's all about like people's own demons and then the supernatural surrounding that but almost the supernatural as a way of emphasizing people's own demons and their own struggles absolutely yeah so i thought that was very interesting the story itself is actually not super related to this like it's the story is about um a a a guy who I guess is a, a supernatural researcher who's trying to get evidence of like super like prove that su- the supernatural exists. So he mm-hmm. invites basically ends up inviting several people to this ha- this house, and one of them in particular is is very 
like psychically sensitive and is affected by the house more than the other people that they all kind of get the bump in the night things being written on the wall that whole spiel um and then at the end of the story the woman who is um like very in tune with the house feels like it's almost her home and uh and i don't know where the story goes so don't tell me i don't it doesn't seem like it's Mm -hmm. super related to the show but again i haven't finished it so maybe it is and Mm -hmm. i don't know but the beginning parts of it don't seem related um but the the gist is that she refuses to leave the home they finally get her out of the house because they're like we think this place is affecting you more than it should be and then she drives away and then she drives her car into a tree jesus christ yeah so it's real dark and then i haven't read it and i actually think i'm gonna read it like in the time that we cover this like the next two episodes within the next two episodes i think i'm gonna actually go read the short story um but people really revere it as like one of the best haunted house stories or ghost stories of our time um and wow and even like stephen king like like lauds it and talks about how, what a like wonderful inspiration it is. And it's just very, very well respected. And I had just had no idea. Well, I mean, I know Shirley Jackson wrote the lottery and that shit haunts me to the this lottery day. was so good. If y'all haven't read the lottery, so give yourself like 30 minutes, go read the lottery. Not even not like, even. it's not even it's that like 15 not even. minutes. Yeah. I, even when I was reading about this, people were so into her story that it, when I read the synopsis, I was like, this doesn't sound super interesting, but people loved it, which makes me want to go read it. And then it made me want to go reread The Lottery, which is a very, right. it's so good. a very good short story. Oh, awesome. Yeah, no, I don't think that there's a ton of parallels, but I think that the influence mm-hmm. is definitely there. There's a character I think named the, Theo. I think the, there are little things like oh, okay. that. There's a character named Luke. Like there's, there's some... I feel like the heart of it is similar yeah. a little bit. Okay, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you looked. I knew you would look that up, which is why I didn't. <laughs> I was like, Emma will tell me about yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. And then I also want to cover critical reception. Please do. I, I want to know. Don't. It has to be that it was good. I don't know anyone that doesn't like this show. Oh, God, do you not like this show? I haven't even told you, have I? Oh, my God. Do you not like this show? We'll get to that in a second. No, tell me now. No. Um, <laughs> so for The Haunting of Hill House, okay, I'm, I'm going to do kind of a comparison so oh my god tell me so what is do you actually already know what the ratings were for haunting of hill House? no i don't okay cool then, well i mean i know they don't they don't do like rotten tomatoes wait no they do for shows right shows get rotten tomatoes. they do and i have them oh oh okay okay so well let's play the game we play every episode which is where i ask okay. kate what she would is it- what she thinks critics are gonna say and what she thinks the audience is gonna say i think I'm gonna I'm gonna say that they were but that they both gave them above above ninety. That's um, really I'm gonna, bold. Oh no! I'm okay. No no no! Okay. Stick to your guns, Kate. Oh God, you're making me so scared. No, 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 okay, no. I'm gonna to say I'm gonna say they both gave them above ninety. I'm gonna say that critics gave it like um ninety one percent, and I'm actually gonna say that audience went higher, and I'm gonna say audience gave it like ninety three. So you're very very close. <gasps> Am I really? You're flipped a bit because Kate, the critics gave it 93% and the audience gave it 91%. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. I was so close. You're really Why close. did you do that to me? That was so good. <laughs> I just Your wanted, face too. I just wanted to test it a little bit. You were just like, okay, wow. <laughs> presumptuous much. Well, you're always so accurate. I'm like, Kate, you're stealing my thunder. 
<laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad. And by okay, contrast, I was worried. I wanted to know how Haunting of Bly Manor did because I just I remember whenever I was doing reception for this on my the very first episode I covered with Nightlight Horror. Um, I remember everyone kept just comparing it to Hill House, and I didn't know what that meant can, because I, I had not seen it. I think you can. I think they're both like. Mm. They're just different. To They're me. both like haunting stories, and you know, it's by the same director and has the same cast. I actually think you could get apples com- and oranges, people. <laughs> I think you could compare them pretty well, to be honest. Apples and oranges. Um, I don't want to because I know Hill House will win, and Bly Manor is it's important to me. But I know Hill House is better, and I just don't want to. So the thing about Bly Manor, and I ha- I'm not gonna say how I feel about Hill House yet, but the thing about oh my god, just tell the me the thing about Bly Manor is that. I enjoyed it when I watched it, particularly the end. I thought there were, it was kind of slow oh in certain God. parts. Um, I thought, some, and you do not like a slow burn. I do not like a slow burn, particularly as it applies to a haunted, haunted store. Yeah, yeah, I don't like yeah. a slow burn haunted house. I don't just want things to go bump in the night. Um, I uh, thought that the some of the characters in Bly Manor were super annoying. Like I'll never forget the stank ass walk of the nanny. Like. <laughs> They, they did a TikTok of her, the way she walks down the aisle when she goes, to, or not walks down like the hallways when she goes to get the kids. Please send me that TikTok of Danny the Nanny. I want to get on <laughs> so Danny good. the Nanny TikTok. Okay, guys, please go listen or go look up on TikTok. Danny the Nanny stank ass walk. Cause it just, like, I don't think anyone else calls her Danny the Nanny. Okay, we'll go look up haunting of Bly Manor um, because they did this amazing clip of her when it, the way she walks to go see the kids when she's angry and it's like her butt moves so much in these ill-fitting or not even ill-fitting but just like horrible of the time of pants. the time pants and they 80s, and yeah. they like added the audio stank ass walk <laughs> okay so good. club assignment i need that post haste yeah i need to go refind it if you, one of y'all can find it before us please send it to us we you will make us so happy um but anyway haunting a blind manor its score was 87% by critics, so still very good, but not quite very as strong. Good. And yeah. then the real, the interesting thing is that it was actually 64% by audience. Yeah, I know. Everyone hated it. Everyone was so mean to Bly Manor. That's also why they I'm were so harsh. protective. Yeah, I thought they were harsh, but I had nothing. I didn't know what they were harsh about because I, I thought it was pretty good. And then now that I'm watching Hill House, I feel like I have much more context for why people were such tough critics. Yeah, people had really high expectations they did. they did does that mean that you liked it emma liked hill house emma likes it at least so far how do you know because you're making that coy little face what about you're making that you're do, <laughs> doing the she's waggling her eyebrows she liked it one of my many skills or maybe my few skills i don't know either way um i can move either eyebrow up and down i can wiggle my ears so i'm using all of those things right now <laughs> to, con- to communicate yeah, to com- that you like it. To communicate to Kate that I actually did like this. Oh, yay! <laughs> yay! So the first episode, I was kind of like... I'm so relieved. I was like, this is kind of like slow. But then I quickly became so attached to the characters that I really didn't mind that everything else was revealing itself slowly because I feel way more invested in these characters than I did in the Blind Man characters. Yeah, that's that's absolutely fair. I felt the opposite of invested fair. in Danny the nanny. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry, but she was annoying as shit. Like, no, uh, leave she wasn't Danny even alone. the kids. Like, I, like leave Danny splendid, out of this. Perfectly splendid. I was like, can you cut that out? Like, stop that. Oh <laughs> I was just like, enough. Okay. I thought she was a great little actress, but I just thought like her character was two dimensional for a while because I was like, I get what you're doing here. I know that's going to make sense, but like, stop. <laughs> 
Whereas these Stop characters foreshadowing. These characters I the little the kids I thought were all good actors one. Um they passed in this, the in test this series. that 13 ghosts failed miserably. Um in being a, a good show. Being good actors, like child actors. Um Oh yeah. God, yeah, fuck that kid. And I really bought like sometimes ghosts. I I feel like it's a little it's tricky to to show a, a a child version of a character and then transition it to the adult version or intercut mm-hmm. it with that. I think it's like a risky game. Um, they do that a lot. They do it a lot. And I actually thought they did a really good job with it. Like I found myself very seamlessly going between the kid and the adult, which I think is very hard to do. Yes. And I sent you um, one of the, I sent Emma a link of a bunch of behind the scenes images that I'm going to like, def- we're definitely going to be posting yeah. everywhere because they're dope. And one of them is a casting um, bulletin and it's the headshots. That's of all one of my the- favorite ones. Yes, of all the adult actors, and they're putting up the headshots of the child actors because they're casting them to the adult actors. Yeah, and I think they nailed it. I think that Jesus, Luke's little young Luke is the cutest thing I've ever seen in he my life. He is so cute, and I, I looked him He's up so because cute. I was trying to figure out like what is he on anything else. He reminds me he has a cuteness level from Jerry Maguire, the kid from Jerry Maguire. It's like that level of cute. Yeah, which is hard to achieve. Which is really hard to achieve. Um, it's, it's played by, I do want to go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I do want to talk about his, um, role, especially in the Theo episode and episode three touch. I'm going to talk about that. Oh, I'm excited. Don't let me forget. So the actor is Julian Hilliard, Hilliard, I think, um, who plays like young child who plays young Luke Crane. Um, (laughs) we we have shouted out one actor so far. Yeah, we have one actor and it's a a child. It's a child. (laughs) Um, and he, uh, also, for those of y'all who have seen WandaVision, he's one of the children in WandaVision. Yeah, because he's adorable. He's so adorable. Put him anywhere. Just slap him on anywhere. I'll buy whatever cereal that kid is selling. Yeah, he's for sure. adorbs. They're, but they're all good. I think they're all good. I think they all capture um, the personality of their character really well. And they feel like real kids to me. It's also a huge testament to... Um, the the casting the directing and of course the writing the writing makes all of this possible yeah no i agree it's i'm so far i'm impressed and the writing um is not always mike flanagan all use i think most of the directing is definitely for these three episodes and the creation of the entire show is obviously mike flanagan but the writing is um a couple of people which is cool hmm. so does it change by episode yeah mm-hmm and oh, I, w- I did want to tell everyone, um, since we're talking about kind of the episodes, I do have like a little breakdown that I'm going to do for the episodes. I'm going to go through just a quick synopsis and then I'm going to hit kind of the points that are important to me and I want to hear what Emma has to say. And then I have a couple, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I have a couple of things I'm going to do for every episode, including um, the, the ones in, in future podcast episodes. I want to do an, an episode genre, of course. And then I have my personal vote for best moment. And then I have my other personal vote for scariest moment for each Ooh, show. Okay. And then at the end of the series, whenever we're on the final episode, um, I'm going to give um, an award to every episode of the show. Okay. Deal. We're going to have an awards. An we'll awards have program. an award ceremony. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have a little ceremony. Just the two of us. Just, no, the whole club is invited. It'll go, it'll go straight to the wiki page. <laughs> that's right. And then there someone, it will be promptly taken down and that's Okay. Okay. Enough of all of that. I want to go into the show. We have three episodes to cover, so I think we should probably get rolling. All right, well, let's get rolling. Episode one, Steven sees a ghost. Steven? Just kidding. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> oh, my God. 
I, I am going to go over a recap of the family, but first let me just um, read the show notes. So this is the pilot, obviously, released October 12th in 2018, um, 2018? written and directed. I didn't realize it was... It's been a minute. Yeah, I did not realize that. It's been a minute. That's why I think it's the perfect time because it's getting into spoopy season yeah. and it's rewatch time, baby. Absolutely. So this is... It's written and directed by Mike Flanagan. This is just kind of the synopsis for it. So... Oh, also, I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems, um, and I don't really remember that, but it seems so far, at least, every episode is um, centered around a character. I had put that together. Yeah, so um, Stephen sees a ghost. Stephen Crane, the eldest, is an author known for his book, The Haunting of Hill House, an autobiographical novel about his childhood experience while residing in the haunted mansion with his parents, Hugh and Olivia, and younger siblings, Theo, I'm sorry, Shirley, Theo, Nell, and Luke, in order. During their stay, the cranes encounter paranormal occurrences and are forced to flee without Olivia, who dies within the house, traumatizing the rest of the family. Years later, 26 years, I think, um, Stephen uses his family's traumatic experience to write his book, which strains the bonds between the siblings. Although it became a bestseller, he missed most of the frightening experiences in real time and does not actually believe in the paranormal. In the paranormal. At the same time, we have Theo, who's meeting this woman named Trish. Um, Theo is like hot mama, apparently. Mm-hmm. We got Steve and Shirley who are missing calls from Nell. Oh my God, Nell. Who then calls Hugh, who's her dad, who's, and she's talking about how she's concerned about Luke, who's now a drug addict later in life. Um, and the, the episode ends with, um, you know, because the whole episode, everyone's, you know, trying to get in touch with Nell. Nell's, I think they say, has one foot on a banana peel. What is well, it? It's no, so I know good. exactly what you're talking about. It was like, I can't remember. The other foot's on a banana pill, but She's I don't remember the one first one. foot in crazy and the other foot on a banana pill, pill or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. And um, so it ends with the reason why it's called this. Well, the reason why the episode is called Stephen Sees a Ghost because throughout the episode, Stephen is, um, he has a, a, he's meeting with this woman who, uh, to, to, to get, content for his next book because it's now a series now he's now a very popular author and this woman is retelling a very horrifying story about seeing her husband's ghost and um he's talking about how he doesn't really believe in ghosts and to be um, fair i feel like he doesn't necessarily say he doesn't believe in ghosts correct me if i'm wrong but he says he doesn't believe because he said it's not that he doesn't believe in ghosts is that he thinks calling it supernatural is saying that it's something other than natural, whereas or, whereas he likes preternatural because it's things we don't understand that are happening. Because his he is like filming it, and if he wasn't filming it, then like if he if he's filming it, he obviously believes you can capture something. But he never has, and also super fucking pretentious because those words mean the same thing. Preternatural and supernatural are literally used yeah. It was a dick comment, in my opinion. Yeah, it was also like her. She's grieving her dead husband. He's can like, you like mm, semantics though? Yeah, can you get over yourself for a hot second, Steve? He's not Jesus. Super no, he is not. Um, I do have the quote that you're um, thinking about, though, which is probably my favorite quote from the, this episode, at least. It's whenever he's talking about ghosts. And he says, I've seen a lot of ghosts, just not the way you think. A ghost can be a lot of things, a memory, a daydream, a secret, grief, anger, guilt. But in my experience, most times they're just what we want to see. Most times a ghost is a wish. That's gorgeously written. Very well written. Gorgeously written. Chef's kiss to Mike <laughs> Flanagan. So good. Was it at that point? What? Not that. Not for that line. But the line where he's like, 
supernatural versus pretty natural. Oh my god! Uh, whenever he's doing that whole bit, is it after that that she goes? Did you say anything though? Like, yeah, that yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's like going. Like the off. show knows he's an asshole. Yeah, he's like blah blah blah. This is what I think. Blah blah blah. This is why what you said isn't quite right. And she goes like, okay, but did you see anything? And I was like, right. that's a great end to that because none of what he said mattered at all he's just like talking to himself basically just talking out of his ass yeah, yeah so anyway that the, the episode ends um um with him going up to his back to his house we find out that he doesn't ha- he's his marriage is he's separated from his wife his life is not at all as great as it initially seems to us uh, whenever he gets back to his apartment uh luke his brother is literally robbing him uh, so that he can sell his belongings to get more drugs on the street. It's dark. And it's really dark. This whole this whole show is very dark. <laughs> and then he goes up to his room, his house, his apartment, and Nell is in there. And he's he's pissed. He's like, did you let him in? Did you, did you, were you standing there while he was robbing me? Like, what the hell? And then he, he's like so mad. And then he takes, he's like, we've all been really worried about you. Like, Jesus, Nell. Um, then he takes a call and it's his dad telling him that Nell is dead. And then he, he's like, but he's so confused and he turns around and we see Nell as like a ghost, like a dead screaming ghost. And that's the end of the episode. And it's so perfect. I thought it was it's good. So perfect. I, I had not fully bought into the show. I was, I, what I'll say is like, I was like, okay, like this is kind of slow burning, which as Kate knows, it's not that I don't have Emma patience don't like that. in general. It's just like for ghost stuff because it's like with ghost stuff, sometimes I'm worried it's not going to pay off. So I have less patience right. for the slow burn because I'm concerned. sometimes it doesn't. Exactly. And so like my concern is like, I'm okay with the slow burn if like in other genres because I, I know the format and how it pays off. But for ghost stories, it's very variable. And so I, I'm more um, picky about it, I guess, or um, more, I don't know. But for this one, I was not sure how I felt, but I was finding that I liked the exposition of the characters. Like, I found myself investing in them. Um, it's not tedious exposition. No, it's not. And, like, when I watched the... F- I did... I, when I watched Bly Manor, I did not like the first couple of episodes. I thought it was redeeming towards the end, but I found none of the characters relatable. You're not the first person I've heard No, like, that, I found none so. of them... Rela- the nanny was super unrelatable to me, and she was the main character... Um, and the, the children see, let's not harp on Bly Manor too much. No, we already I'm not, did that. I'm not trying to. And no, I actually like, ultimately I liked Bly Manor and that's what I said when we covered it. Like I liked Bly Manor by the end of it. But what my point is just that I was very, um, impressed that I started by the end of this episode was kind of settling into these characters and investing in them. And I thought that that was, that made me go, Oh, I want to go watch the next episode. I wasn't just doing it because we're covering this. I was like curious, um, that's awesome. It, that says a lot because you do not yeah, like scary stuff. Yeah, as someone stuff. who is timid and like a little bit skeptical when it comes to particularly haunted house stuff, I was like, okay, that's a good sign. Um, that's a very good sign. And then, okay, I'm about to spoil Sixth Sense. So if you've not seen it, it's it's time. Cover your ears for it's 60 time, seconds. But yeah, like, <laughs> also this one's on you. This one's on you. But so the Sixth Sense, people are like, oh, yeah, I knew he was dead the whole time. Or like I didn't personally know that, but like we were also children. But no, I didn't. I didn't. I, didn't I had like the organic experience. And this, I think, does the 
does it so well because you don't have enough time to think it through in any way, shape, or form. And so before you could even kind of be like, why isn't she talking? Because she never says anything. She makes lots of noises and things like she's about to say something, like she's being interrupted, but she never says anything. And then you find out she's dead and then she's a ghost. And I thought that that was really well done. It That's probably because it was really well done. Oh, okay. That, that explains. <laughs> <laughs> no, I yeah, I agree. I agree with everything you, you just said. Um, I really like this episode. I think this episode is very much all about getting to know the family. So I did want to go into the cast a little bit at this point, if that's okay. Yeah, let's do it. I'll be brief because we've got two other episodes to cover. Um, we got Carla Gugino, who is Olivia Crane. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, she is the person who, she's obviously the mom of the family. She's the person who designs the houses um, whenever they're flipping houses. And it's it's her and Nell, she and Nell rather, who are the most affected by the house. Especially we can see that by the end of this episode because they're both dead. Yeah. Something happened in the house and now both of them are gone. We have Timothy Hutton who, um, I'm not, no, I don't really care about him. The kid, That's the kid. And um, Henry Thomas as Hugh Crane. Henry Thomas is the one that you probably know. Yeah, that's E.T. Man. He's, yeah, he play, he's E.T. Man and he also plays the uncle on Bly Manor. E.T. Child, I yeah. should say. He was a child. I thought he did a great job on Bly Manor as the uncle. Of course he did. He was also um, in Gerald's Game, which we should totally cover, which is another Mike Flanagan. We should definitely cover it. I don't remember who. Is he the husband? Uh, he's the dad in flashbacks. Gotcha. Okay. Continue. Mm-hmm. So he's the dad of the family. Um, he's He helps flip the houses. And uh, he has a very strained relationship. Well, I guess Timothy Hutton is Hugh Crane. Timothy Hutton is like older dad, like current present day dad. Henry Thomas is by far the one I think we see the most, at least in these three episodes, as flashback dad. Um, but he becomes estranged from his kids after what happens at Hill House, which we don't know what happens yet. And then we have... Um, Michael Huseman, who is Stephen Crane, um, he's the eldest of the family. He's the one who becomes a famous author, and it really fucks up his relationship with his siblings, and that's just a choice he makes. Elizabeth Reeser is Shirley Crane. She's so good. Is she from Family Stone? Yes, she is. Yeah. She just, she. I knew that it was familiar, her being an older sibling in a She's dynamic. She's got that rule down. In a weird family dynamic. She's... So good in this show. I'm going to talk more about her. I'm going to talk more about her in her episode, which is episode two, but she's so good. So she owns the mortuary with her husband, Kevin. I love that there's a mortuary in this show. Love that. Um, I love how much we get to see it. Love that. So then we have Kate Siegel, who is um, Theodora slash Theo Crane. She's the middle child. She's so the middle child, like even as an adult. Yeah. Like I'm the middle child and I relate so much to her <laughs> and how she responds to situations within the family. I'm like, yeah, that's such a middle child thing to do. Um, she's a child psychologist. She has um, a sensitivity um, to the paranormal like her mother. Um, and so she's always wearing gloves so that she can't, um, she's not, she, she's um, like her senses are dulled. So she's not Which touching things. Which you don't learn about until the third episode. It's very heavily hinted at with the gloves. I didn't know what it meant until the third episode. Well, not quite, but... You don't know until the third episode, I will say. That's fair. That's fair. Um, then we have Oliver Jackson Cohen, who plays Luke Crane. He also was in The Invisible Man and Bly Manor, and he's just very, very good as well. He is... <laughs> I was expecting you to end that sentence with very, very attractive as well. <laughs> he is. God, he's got so the handsome. best chin. And then when you watch or when you look at behind the scenes where he's like 
playing around with the kids and stuff, you're like, okay, my, I think I'm ovulating I can now. only take so <laughs> like, much of this. <laughs> I can only take so much. He's so hot. And he is the older twin um, with Nell. And um, it's him and Nell. And they're so is cute. Is he American when or, or British in real life? Oh, that's a very good. he's. That's a British very good in, question. Or Irish in Bly Manor. But I don't know which one's real because his accents are good with both. I'm looking it up right now. And if he's Irish he, in real he's, life. Um, from London. Ugh, he's from London. That makes him that much more attractive. <laughs> I know. I hate that. Maybe I wish the I'd two never most attractive actors, the two most attractive people in Hollywood per gender, Kate Siegel and this, what's his name again? Um, Oliver, oh shoot, Oliver Jackson Cohen. Uh, these two people. I know. Ruining it for attractive. the rest of us. <laughs> Too attractive. Anyway, so that's that's Luke. Um, he uh, he struggles with addiction um, as an adult, and it's very clear it's something like he's pushing something away, like he, he's it's a coping, like something's wrong. And we get more of what's going on with that. And in my opinion, so far, episode three is where we get the most insight. No, you don't really. You don't know anything except that he's not invited to the wedding. Um, the dumb waiter. Uh, yeah, the dumb waiter is a little traumatizing. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we'll get there. But literally, when I was watching that scene, Nick literally said, and that's why Luke does drugs now. <laughs> that's what he said. I was like, absolutely. That's no, why. Sweet baby. We'll get there. I know, sweet baby. And then we have Victoria Pedretti. Damn, she's hot, too. Um, cut that out. Nell Crane. They all need to cut it out. I can't help myself. She's so beautiful. She's Nell Crane. Obviously, she's the... Um, Youngest member of the family, or one of the two youngest, and she was obviously the most affected by the house second she only to her mom. She has such hardcore manic pixie dream girl vibes. I don't care. No, no, I don't have a problem with it. It's just like her vibe is like a little moody and a little like you don't quite get me. And it's like, well, they don't. No, they don't. And I, this is not a negative thing. I really like this character. It's just like what I'm thinking about her, like the vibe she gives me. I'm like, oh, that's like it's a type of hot kind of. I'm so getting, I'm getting, I don't know why you're getting protective of her. Like, it's not a bad thing. I don't know. Manic pixie dream girl is not a good thing. No, it's like, um, Zoe Deschanel is manic, manic pixie. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think it's just because you don't don't like Zoe Deschanel. No, I do like Zoe Deschanel. Are you kidding? I love her. Why are you being so weird about it? Because I don't think Nell is a manic pixie dream girl. She was also played angsty girl in Bly Manor. I think that she is, um, like emotional trauma girl, if anything. Yeah, it's very Manic Pixie. Like, I don't get you, but I want to get you. I feel like Manic Pixie's different. I feel like Manic Pixie is like, for me at least, Manic Pixie dream girls are created f- from the lens of a man. That's fair. And I don't see that with Nell. I do feel like her like untouched. It doesn't feel performative to me. It doesn't feel performative. I agree with what you're saying. But I do think like she has the manic pixie dream girl aspect of being like unattainable. Well, she's not to be. Like you can't quite get to her because something else is going on. Yeah, something else is going on. (laughs) We don't know what yet. No, we don't know what yet. But I, I do. We agree on that. Okay, let's just move on. But like I. Yeah. Well, that's those are those are the char- who's your favorite character so far, Theo. Theo, Theo rules. Yeah. Theo rules. Okay. All right. Oh, who's my favorite character? I can't decide. Oh, I can't decide. 
I can't decide. How dare you ask me this question? <laughs> so um, I'm going to pick an episode genre for this one. Emma's going to hate it. You're, you've heard of corn horror. Now it's time for horn horror. <laughs> what does that even mean? Like, you know, the scene where she's talking about uh, that woman is talking about her husband and um, no! he died in a car no. accident. No. <laughs> no, no, no. The haunting no, no. of no, no, no. the car honking. Now it's horn. Yes. No. No. Yes. That's an anecdote yes. within a larger storyline that is not about horns. I don't care. No. It was a scary scene for me. Watching her retell it, I felt like I was there. Horn horror. This put is not up for debate. No, no, no. My rule is that you have to put something else into that category. What else goes into the category of horn horror? Um, yeah, you you figure that out. Get back to me. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Um, What's the movie? Okay, hold on. What's the movie about the killer car? Killer no. Killer car movie. Yes. Yes. Kate's just Googling Killer something car in the desperate Oh, there's attempt. a bunch. We got, we got The Car. We got Joyride. Not we got Maximum Overdrive. That's not the point. No, there's like a Killer Car movie. Oh, what? Christine. Christine. Is, it a, is that a real thing, Kate? Yes, that's a real thing. Okay, fine. We'll take Horn uh-huh. Horror, which is really hard to say. Say that three times fast. <laughs> I know. That's even better. Horn that's Horror. E- that's my favorite kind. Real quick. I, horn Kate, horror. I want you to say it three times fast. Horn Horror. Horn Horror. <laughs> horn Horror. Horn Horror. Horn Horror. I did it. <laughs> I could not. <laughs> it might be because well, of the vodka soda I have in my hands. But it could yeah, be because you're other constantly reasons. drunk. <laughs> sure. Well, that's I'm, it's Horn Horror, and that's what it is. Now, for best moment, because I'm doing... Genre, best moment, scariest moment. Best moment for me. Wait, don't say it because I want to he- think of what mine is before you say it. Okay. Well, should I go to scariest moment? It's confusing because it's like, I just, I watch them in such quick succession that I'm like, mm, was that first episode or? Okay. I have my, okay. What's your best moment? Um, my best moment is when he realizes there's like five male characters. You will have to use names. Steve. Steven, yeah. <laughs> I said that with such little confidence. As it such came hesitation. out. As it came out, I was like, that can't be right. <laughs> it's the name of the episode, Emma. When Steve realizes she not, she's not real. Yeah, that's so, yeah. That was a really, really good What's moment. So I initially, I had initially put that as best moment. I saved that. I, I put that as scariest moment for me, which is whenever Steven sees a ghost, whenever whenever he sees Nell at the finale. That was the scariest moment for me. So I put it there. Best moment for me was when Hugh, this is in the flashback, he was talking to young Nell about how dreams are cups of water and that they can spill. And kid dreams are special because they're like an ocean. And so they spill out sometimes. And I really liked that. Mm-hmm. I really liked um, how he was talking to his daughter. I really liked the appreciation for kids' imaginations as reality at times. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought that was gorgeous. Yeah. So my scariest moment... Oh, you go first. I already did. I said it was the ghost. Oh, you're right. No. Mine's also the ghost. My best and scariest are the same. <laughs> yeah, and, and it can be. It totally can be. Okay. That's, that's very valid. I do... I'm excited to hear what your theories are, Emma, for what's in the red room. Hmm. Uh, probably a box of of videotapes. 
Are you thinking of sinister? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm, just like, I'm like, what's scary? What scared me recently? <laughs> <laughs> scared me recently. Let, yeah. Um, um, I don't know. Give me a second. Let me think. I'm what's not going to tell you. For those room? of you who haven't seen the show or haven't seen it in a while. What do I actually um, think is in the room or what would be scary? What do you actually think is in the room? And you can think about it. Um, what would be scary could be. Yeah. It's a room full of clowns. That would be scary. I it wouldn't make sense. It's the room that drives the mom crazy. The room where it happened. The room, the where, room where, okay, where it happened. Okay, we're not happened. doing that. We're not going su- hey, to subject our musical listeners reference. <laughs> musical reference. We made yeah, it take every a drink. episode. We did another musical Thanks, reference. Thanks, guys. Take a drink. <laughs> if um, you've joined for the, the Nightlight Horror Movie Club drinking game, you have to do a whole shot now. So. And my theory. Two shots because we sang it. Yes. My theory is that it is the room where everyone ends up killing themselves. So in, in the room, there will be the ghost of the previous person who killed themselves. Strong theory. Strong theory. I'm not saying anything. All right. Shall we proceed right. to episode two? I think we should. Episode two, Open Casket. This is also directed and written by Mike Flanagan. And uh, here we go. In childhood flashbacks of Hill House. Oh, this is Shirley's episode, I should say. Shirley, this is Shirley's episode. In childhood flashbacks at Hill House, Shirley encounters a box of abandoned kittens, takes them in. However, all of the kittens end up dying, um, which really is horrifying to Shirley, especially the one um, that she tries to bury. Yeah, don't. Let's not go there yet. Okay. Um, So she obsesses about how she couldn't fix them. So then we go to present day Shirley, um, who is reeling from the the sudden loss of her sister and she's going through the stages of grief in her own way I'll just say and um we learn about her as a mortician we learn that she became a mortician after she met a mortician who fixed her mom and I use the word fix very purposefully um who fixed her mom because she was very scared to go up and see her mom in the casket at the open casket at her mom's funeral when she was a child and then whenever she saw him she's like oh you fixed her and now that's what she does so she decides to take Nell's body and she's going to prepare her body for an open casket funeral for the family. Uh, we also Kate, get to learn I a little bit more about do that for you just for the record. Oh, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Um, I'm going to get there. Um, so we also learn a bit about Theo. Um, Theo is uh, Kate Siegel, her sister who is staying in the guest house um, next to the mortuary where they live. And, um, yeah, so I'm very excited to talk about this. Um, my first section is called Embalming Your Own Sister. I'm very Jesus excited Christ. to talk about it. It goes without saying that this is a bad idea. But I'm going to say it. This is a really bad idea. And everyone tries to stop her, right? Like her husband and sister try to stop her. Her employee, God bless, is like trying to offer other suggestions. But here's the thing. I've like initially I was like, I would, of course, I would never do that. I would never do that. I think I would do that, Emma. Okay, please explain. Okay, so if I had the training that she had, um, if I was a professional mortician, if, if I felt like I had failed you, like, oh God, I hate, I hate playing this game, but God, every time I watch a movie about sisters and something happens to the younger sister, I see you every, every time. And, I, and it, I hate it. I hate it every time because I feel like my job as an eldest sister is to protect you. And she feels like that too. I feel like every eldest, el- elder sister feels like that. And so she feels like she failed 
Nell. And I would feel like I failed you. Like, God, whenever she finds out and she's angry and she's like, I told you, I like, I told you to go find her. I told you to do this. And I just, I, I would feel like I needed to fix you and like I needed to atone. So you would suture my head back together. Yeah. Because I would want it done right. organs out. I would want it done right. And toss them into the garbage in a big bag. I would compartmentalize because I would want it done right. Kate, there is no way in hell that you would do that. I love you so much. You do, you do not have the emotional bandwidth to compartmentalize that well. You do not compartmentalize well at all. Or not, not, it's not even well or not well. You don't compartmentalize really. Okay. (laughs) No, it's not like a good or a bad thing. It's just like compartmentalizing is a character trait where someone is able to say, or someone's able to like say, this is this, I'm putting this in this box and setting it away. I don't think you compartmentalize really anything in your life. So I, yeah, I I think you would, you like the idea of it, of being able to take care of me in that way. But I do not actually think you in any way, shape or form, be it myself or mom or Sarah or dad would ever be able to find out that we had traumatically ended our own lives and then put it like, then like open our body up, up and bomb us. I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, no, I couldn't. You're right. I couldn't. I couldn't. You're right. I just, I empathize I like with her the, very like, strongly. I, I, I see, I empathize with her You're a right. lot. Like I see like whenever she's doing, doing that, I'm like, that makes sense. And then I think about my own experiences, like in med school dealing with donors and mm-hmm. it's very impactful. Um, and seeing a body that is embalmed is not something I want to ever see for a loved one. Fair. Like I don't even, I don't, I want all of my loved ones to be cremated, which is I completely respect people who want to embalm and I have nothing against it. But like for me, it bothers me to the point where I would want all of y'all cremated. So not only would I not be able to do that, I would hope that y'all like aren't even in a position for that to happen. (laughs) Don't make me even think about having to do this is what Emma said. Yeah. Like I just, no, I know she's I on hear the you. Phone I, I think you're right. Lo- I'm just like, no, like that's not going to work. And I like, that's even from my a medical favorite. perspective, I can't, I can't compartmentalize it as a medical thing. Should I just jump to best moment for this? Best moment is surely on speakerphone with Steve saying, you know what I'm doing right now, Steve, I'm pulling out a bag of our sister's internal organs and I'm doing this. All you need to do is get two grown men to the airport, get it done. And then hangs it up with her like gloved bloody finger. I agree. That is the best moment. Oh, that was good. What is the scary that was so moment, good. Kate? Uh, I'm not there yet. Are you there now? Yeah, it's mom with a kitten box in the mortuary, hands down. That is not was not the scariest for me. Really? The scariest for me was the first incident where she's at where it's a flashback and she sees that the kitten is alive. Oh, and then the okay. bug crawls out of the kitten's mouth. That like really bothered me. And I did not see it coming. I literally thought the kitten was alive. And that ro- really bugged me. I thought that was really well done. Ugh. Yeah, so that bothered me. So this is a very, I probably even shouldn't say this. This is a very personal thing for me where, um, so I deal with a lot of dead animal bodies, as you might have guessed as a veterinarian. I deal with this a lot. And I went through a string of like having to euthanize a lot of animals That's sad. like at once. Yeah, it was really bad. And I went through a phase where I started having nightmares that they were still alive. Oh, I remember and, like, that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was bad. It was like very sad. bad. Like she hadn't actually it was really done bad. it effectively in the, yeah. And like they were still alive because I had, I had a very, very upset because I had like a string of euthanasias and then I had one that went really bad and not, not like the euthanasia went bad, but like the owner was unhinged upset, like so upset. And so like literally like she fainted, I had to like catch her. Like it was so dramatic and awful. It was like 8 PM. I'm like on the floor, like giving her water, like a baby, like it was a nightmare. And then like after like an hour, an hour of me, like, trying to recover this woman, she starts, um, she goes to say bye to the, the dog who's already gone. And like this dog had like a bunch of things going on. It doesn't matter. But like, think your body moves after you oh die my sometimes. God. I already know where this is going and it's really bad. Yeah. So, um, he had some fluid coming out of his nose. Um, cause he had like lung things going on and heart things going on. And I was trying to like hide it, you know, like I took my jacket off and was like trying to soak it up. I'm like, oh God. But she just heard the noises and thought he was breathing and started panicking, saying that he was still alive. And I didn't euthanize him all the way and that he was still alive. So that did really good things for my mental health, as you can imagine. People, yeah, it was really traumatizing. Whenever you pronounce someone dead, um, you have to be careful the way you do it. Um, so as to not elicit reflexes that make it seem like the person's still alive. Yeah. Cause you're, cause like, like every, your, your brain shuts down. And there are ways you do like subtle, like hard pinches and things to like, that would elicit a, a reflex if the person was alive, but you do it in a subtle way so that the family is not aware that that's happening when you come in to pronounce mm-hmm. the death because you don't want it to seem like you're just like messing with their loved one. Yeah. But you, yeah, that, so I, that sounds really terrible, Kate. Yeah, y'all got more than you bargained for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Welcome to our therapy hour. But all, all of this to say that weirdly, this part, this scene didn't bother me. So this scene weirdly didn't bother me. So like at first it did whenever, like whenever she said it's still alive, that was super triggering for me, of course. But um, the beetle crawling out of her mouth broke it for me. So this is how it breaks it for me. Um, side note, I took a forensic entomology course in college, which was a very intense course where I learned about how bugs and beetles um, present at a carcass in um, like a human carcass usually and how that matters forensically, like for the law and for court cases to tell like when someone is, has died and determine As the time you're of death. This, all I can think of is science of the lambs and then pulling out that like, the, the mom the death moth yeah i for i didn't even think of that but that was placed there after death and they proved yep. it with forensic entomology baby yeah, they did it, it matters a lot my teacher was on um the stephen colbert show he he talked about bed bugs when bed bugs were a big mm-hmm. thing he's hilarious check him out he's so funny but anyway I, I took a big course and like part of that course was like we took like dead pigs who died of natural causes. We didn't kill them. We took dead pigs and we just examined them. We had like, we made like oh, traps to catch now. beetles. Yeah, it was so cool. And I learned more than I ever could possibly need to know about like blowflies and maggots and beetles. 
And one thing I knew about beetles is beetles show up no earlier than a week after death. They lay eggs in like the the drying flesh. That's why a lot of them are referred to as like hide beetles. So that this never would have happened. Yeah, this kitten would I didn't think like this was maybe a day prior. That's very interesting. I did not think this was like I wasn't like oh that makes sense. I thought it was very like supernatural, disturbing. Spooky. Even though it was just a that's beetle. fair, I guess. I, I don't know. I wasn't know. like, I wasn't it, like it, it just oh, like took a me out of it. Was just organically coming out of this kitten's mouth. I thought it was another like messed up hill house. Nonsense. Well, I had a feeling that some people really did think that it was because like her parents were like, no, baby, like, don't worry. No, like it's not alive. It's not alive. Which makes sense because like you're not going to be like, well, that's supernatural. But I like personally watching this show was just like, that seems like a, a fucked up hill house thing. <laughs> it, that and seems it was. intended to traumatize that child. <laughs> That it was, Emma. That it was. Um, oh, also, fun fact about this episode. Elizabeth um, Reeser worked with an actual mortician to prep for her role. Oh, wow. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, so, yeah. So, th- that's kind of this whole episode is just learning more about Shirley, who is absolutely the eldest by proxy, because Stephen did not take that mantle up no. as the eldest. So, she did. Shirley, we see in this episode, she's in charge of Luke's sobriety, um, checking him into rehab and being like responsible for him paying for his rehab. She's in charge of Nell's funeral. And I understand that no one asked her to do any of this, but she truly feels that if she did not do it, the family would suffer. And I'm not even saying she's wrong. Um, they, they probably would. The family as a whole probably would suffer if she didn't do all this stuff. Doesn't mean it's her job to do it, but that's still a lot of pressure to have on one person, even if you put it on herself. And I thought her character arc in this episode revolving around her desire to fix, fix things was really awesome um the kittens who she attempts to care for they die regardless and she can't come to grips with why she can't save them trying and failing to get luke's addiction under control then we see the flashbacks with the mortician who prepared her mother she doesn't want to see her mother but then the mortician quote-unquote fixes her and she says you fixed her and now she has her baby sister in front of her she who she feels like she failed and i i just relate to that especially like you and austin like my younger siblings it's and I just want you to know, this is why it can be overbearing at times because I feel <laughs> responsible for you. Like, I'm, I feel like if you're not thriving, like I am partially at fault. And I just see that a little bit in Shirley. So I really enjoyed this story a lot. Yeah, no, I get it. This might've been my favorite episode of the three. Yeah, that, I'm going to just say it. This was my favorite episode of the three. I think my favorite is the third episode. Okay. Well, we're about to talk about that. Wait, scariest moment. You talk, to scare, talk about the scariest moment for me. Um, mom with a kitten box in the mortuary. This is when, after Shirley is crying over Nell's body. She's finally cried. She's finally let herself cry. She finishes preparing her and then turns out the light. And mom is on the embalming ta- table next to Nell. Yeah. And then she sits up, up slowly. Oh, yeah. Pretty messed up. Sits up slowly. Her eyes are glowing and she presents the kitten box. Um, from the flashbacks and then it does a like a jump scare yowl yeah I screamed (laughs) I screamed so I've already said which one was the scariest to me which was the initial cat like kitten oh it's alive and then the bug came out of its mouth that freaked me out I said I said that is wrong (laughs) I said that out loud in my room by myself that is wrong (laughs) that ain't right so that takes us to episode three our third and final episode for this episode of the show (laughs) a little (laughs) confusing but you know what i'm saying yeah um kate tell us a little bit about that sure episode three is called touch this is theo's episode directed by mike flanagan it is um oh shoot no they i think they 
Yeah, no, no. Okay, directed by Mike Flanagan. It's written by Liz Fong. I don't know who that is, but she did a good job. Sounds good great. Job, Liz. We love her. So, little synopsis. Theo is able to perceive feelings from people and from objects whenever she touches them with her bare hands. Um, if you've, I, I felt, uh, I guess I'll talk about that in a minute. So, um, in this episode, we have child Luke who encounters a ghost, which holy fucking shit, that was horrifying. And that's why he does drugs. And I get it. Um, we have Theo who, um, her sensitivities pick up a, a lot of things in the past and in the present. In the past, she's picking up a lot of things around the house, like that there is a hidden door that led to an old bootlegging basement. Um, in the present, uh, she is a child psychologist in Boston. I'm pretty sure it's Boston. And she's trying to help a kid um, who's being tormented by this monster named Mr. It Smiley. It is in Boston because I remember the her partner from the first episode is like or her hookup is like oh it's a great city but i love boston like like i'm a sociology major it's hard but i love the city like it's just talking about boston okay and that's what so it is boston good so um theo is trying to help this child as a psychiatrist she's trying to help this child who is tormented by mr smiley and she goes she's like i don't know what how, how to say it like obsessed with this case because you can't she touches the child and she doesn't feel anything. Like we see like a very noted moment of her touching this child's arm purposefully. Doesn't see anything. Doesn't feel anything. Cause this girl has put up all these emotional walls to protect herself. And then she goes to the girl's house and she's walking around the basement. Um, touching How did things, she know to, to get... go to the basement? Cause she, cause Mr. Smiley is in the basement. Oh, I see. Cause that was the one thing that I did not follow. Also, Mr. Remember Smiley whenever... looks like he had a stroke. Right, like one pupil is dilated and his smile is like reaching up on the right side of his face asymmetrically. He, well, it just makes it even creepier. I know. He literally looks like he had a stroke. Anyway, he if you ever does. look like Mr. Smiley, go to the nearest hospital. <laughs> Mr. Smiley says, see your doctor. Yeah. Stat. <laughs> anyway, so she goes to the basement and she knows that Mr. Smiley is in the basement. Oh, this is so sad. This is, oh, this is so sad. This is the saddest episode so far. And she's touching everything around the basement. She touches the couch is the last thing that she touches. And she finds out that um, the girl's foster dad has been molesting her. And Mr. Smiley was um, basically just a manifestation of her abuse because it was the way, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the wood, the pattern of the wood on the ceiling that she would see. The wood stain kind of. As she was being attacked. Yeah. um, And that's also very common for people who are for children who are assaulted to manifest it as like a corporeal like bad guy i didn't know yeah. that it's really sad i don't like that that's awful this is actually pretty that's realistic. awful um oh my god i thought it was children don't know how to like or st- like don't know quite how to process certain things so they process in a lot of different ways and one way would be like a bad guy who is not the person who molested you but like an e like a, a caricature bad guy yeah because it also has to be your foster dad that drives you to school who also drives you to your psychiatry appointment yep yeah so that's fucked up yeah that's that's a very important point is that he's taking her to these psychiatry appointments i don't know why she's like this i don't it's so weird her grades aren't that great so weird and then she um the episode ends with her going back to the morgue going into the morgue and taking her gloves off and touching nell's forehead we don't know what she sees 
but it is not good. Not good. Not good. And then we get a flashback. Oh my God, this is so, like, I'm getting chills. A flashback to her last night at Hill House as a child, which is whenever Hugh, dad, is rounding up the kids, um, which it, it's a scene that we see in a bunch of different perspectives throughout the ser- the series. And we, we get Theo's perspective of being grabbed and Hugh grabs her and she's like, we need to go. He's like, we need to go. And then she sees everything. She sees everything. And it's so fucked up. She sees so much disturbing stuff all in one second, just slammed in. And she just goes bananas. She just keeps screaming like, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Oh my yeah, God. My heart. Really awful. So this is the, this is such a traumatizing episode. It's a lot. Like I, I'm, I'm not going to go over all the awards that I'm giving, but this is definitely in the running for status <laughs> episode. Yeah. Emma's, um, in, in my style of, uh, enjoying things that are dramatic. Uh, this, I, this is my favorite episode. Um, Kate, yeah, what you was like your scariest? I love, oh I God, love I drama and character genre. development. So I'm sorry, say that again. What yeah. was your scariest so this was your and jam. what was your um, best? Well, let me go back. I forgot to give my episode genre for the episode two. Obviously it's beetle horror. I think that goes without yeah, saying. Yeah, we can do that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Beetlejuice counts. So there's your other movie. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this one, uh, the episode genre is glove horror. Is thriller the other one? No, it's just glove horror. What fits into that? The episode from SpongeBob where they go to rock bottom <laughs> after going to Glove World. <laughs> I love that episode. Yeah, it's the best it, episode. It was so that episode was so oddly relatable. Where it's like I watched it like it's like a week transportation ago. won't get there. You feel abandoned. <laughs> like there's just so many things about that particular episode that as an adult, I'm like, that is some relatable content. <laughs> Ew, glove flavor. <laughs> okay, I'll take so that. glove horror. You sold me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, scariest moment for me. I think you know what it is. Okay. Mr. Smiley at the foot of the bed. That is not the scariest moment for me, which is really interesting. Are you serious? I screamed. I screamed Very again. Interesting. Okay. What's your scariest moment? My scariest moment is when the lights are flickering off and that you see something crawling out behind the box whenever young Luke is down in the basement and you don't know what it is and then it crawls out and it's just as scary as you thought it was going to be. I thought like the weird thing moving out at first I couldn't tell what it was because they don't give you enough time to know what it was. That was very effective for me. Okay. Yes, I agree. I think that might, I think that is the scariest moment. Mr. Smiley took me by surprise. And the feeling of being stuck, like you can't move anywhere. Oh my God. So if you haven't seen the show or you haven't seen it in a minute, this is the scene, oh, poor Theo, where Luke, baby Luke is trying to go down the dumbwaiter or he's trying to go up. He's not trying to go down because they don't think it goes down. They don't think there's anything down there. He's trying to go up in the dumbwaiter and it's so cute because you can so see the child perspective. He's like, come on, Theo, it's a perfect kid size elevator it's perfect please just do this for me and she's like okay fine I'll do it and so she closes it and she's like all right going up and she presses the up button and he goes down which we didn't know it went down exactly because there's not supposed to be anything down there there's not supposed to be anything down there oh but there's something down there so and then he goes down there oh god the dog scared me (laughs) did you hear him bark 
Oh, Chuck gave me a heart attack. He's not even the same. Oh my God, my heart. I can't handle this. So they go down. <gasps> okay, they go down. And it's just this little boy with his flashlight and the flashlight starts to go out, which is like, holy shit. Watching this, if this happened to me as an adult, I would be in therapy for the rest of my life. As a child? How horrifying to be in an enclosed space and have something creeping out from behind something and you can't move. That's horrifying. You can't do anything and also you can't see it. So you, it's, it's flickering and so we get these glimpses of a hand, like a, oh God, like what would you call it? Like a leper hand, yeah. like coming out from behind this barrel and you see it in like flashes, like a strobe light because his flashlight's dying and he, and he, but he's pointing it at right at it because he has to see where it is. And then you see it come. I love that it wasn't just like, oh, what could it be? We're not going to show you. They're like, no, we'll show you. Yeah, I did too. It's what you think it's it is. It's a demon. You. There's a demon. It's, there's like a ghost demon and it is coming right for you. And, and then his light, his flashlight goes out. And he's shrieking so shrilly. It's really sad. And then when he comes up, when they, when the family, the parents come in, they finally manage to get the, the dumbwaiter up. It shows that he has actually had clothes ripped from him. Yeah. Something so got something him. something actually like, oh, he must been snagged in the dumbwaiter. No. Nope. That's not what happened. Wasn't the dumbwaiter. So I thought that was really good. What is your best moment? Okay. For me, the best moment is when Carla Gugino is on the screen. Best moment. <laughs> Anytime she's on screen. <laughs> so it's whenever the mom um, presents Theo with the gloves and starts talking to her. And she's like, hey, I really don't like that you went down and that you went down in that basement because Theo finds the basement because she has the gift. She can sense things. She can feel things. Um, I really don't like that you went down in that basement, but I really like that you're so brave. And um, how did you know that was down there? I, I think yeah. like in, in, in the whole episode, Theo's were like bundled up. She keeps talking about how the whole house is cold. Um, and she's and her mom knows her mom knows her mom's like, yeah, like you're sensitive. Like, you know, grandma was really sensitive. I'm really sensitive. Nell, she talks about how whenever Nell came to the house, she asked what she thought about it. And Nell said that the house was loud. Mm-hmm. And I just like that she's paying attention to all of her kids like that. Yeah. And I just thought it was extremely touching how she gave her the gloves of being I like, for whenever you feel too much, you can wear these gloves. I thought that was good. Oh, God. Um, Best moment for me. Like I said, this was my favorite episode so far. So I have lots of moments I enjoyed. I think maybe the best moment for me was at the very end, whenever I did not, I just didn't guess it. So the reason this moment is the best is because it was, it makes total sense, but it was unanticipated, which is when Theo goes into the mortuary or goes into the um, funeral home oh, yeah. and takes off her gloves and like places her hand on Nell to find My out heart. what Nell has experienced or what led to the state and then has a horrific experience and starts sobbing. And I thought that I, oh I think it's my best moment because it makes total sense. And we got the buildup of her having that power and I didn't guess it. Can we, this is such a good show so far. I really like it. I'm like very pleasantly surprised. Good. And can we just also talk about, I'm going to, I won't talk about it too much. Um, but this show passes the Bechdel test. Yes. Like, I, I'm trying to remember if there are episodes or scenes where two men talk to each other. For, for those that don't know, the Bechdel test is um, a test that is like a kind of a test of sexism. It's like, hey, that, that show or movie you're watching, do two women talk to each other in it? 
the and do they talk about something that isn't a man? It's less common than you think. <laughs> yeah, you will be surprised. Apply that test to the movies and shows you're watching. You will be surprised. You'll be disappointed. Yeah, and disappointed. <laughs> disappointed. This show passes it with flying colors. Women are having conversation left and right. Like, in, which I know I shouldn't be like, woo, women having conversations. But damn, I'll take the, I'll take the little victories. Mm-hmm. I'll take what we can get Absolutely. treated as equals. But yeah, I just, I like that there's more, um, female energy to this show than there is male energy i really like that no, it's good but it doesn't seem imbalanced like it it, it makes no sense. not at all well there's more female characters yeah. as happens sometimes <laughs> as tends to happen on occasion in real life well i think that that is it for the first three episodes i think that we've done a, a good little overview of them what do you think kate i think i think yeah i think that we need to rate rank these things at the end yeah we're gonna have to do it as a whole there's no way of being like well episode one through three go on no we're not doing that messy that's messy well um thank you guys so much for listening uh we will be back yeah we gotta finish (laughs) the show more times (laughs) gotta finish the show um and that's really all i have do you have any other notes no no notes other than if you enjoyed this podcast please um go give us a um a rate a rating review on apple Podcasts. um share the podcast with other people who might be curious about it on your social media and, and whatnot whatnot um and other than that thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time stay spoopy and stay spoopy yeah as stay spoopy guys <laughs> <laughs>